Well, no video clip tonight. I wish, I wish the chosen would make a, at least a little bit of clip of everything that's in the Bible, but they don't. And I don't know who's who has gone to the movie theater and seen the new episodes out yet. I think there's still time. I would love to go, and everything I've heard is that it is great. So. If you haven't had an opportunity to even start watching The Chosen, then I would suggest that you, that you do that. I think that you will be enlightened by it. Your eyes will be opened, and, and it may actually help bring the scriptures come to life. And that's why we use the videos to help along with that. But tonight, we're still in the book of John, and we're not going anywhere anytime soon other than John, uh, except maybe for the next two weeks. And David Jeremiah's got a new study out called Why the Nativity, and we may cover that on the next two Wednesday nights and then finish it off maybe on the, on the birthday party. We'll see how that, or not on the birthday party, but on the kids' party. We'll see how it works out. The video's about an hour and 23 minutes, but it's called Why the Nativity. You can look it up. You can watch it online if you want to. But... Uh, Hopefully we can, we can go through that, see this, see this movie that David Jeremiah and his team has put together and, and answer the questions about why the nativity. But tonight we're in John chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse uh, 43 tonight. So you can go ahead and turn and open up there. And it's, it's going to really be talking about healing tonight. And actually our next couple of segments that come out of the book of John talk about healing. And I'm not a faith healer. I don't know anybody that is. I've seen them on TV, those who proclaim with a touch on the forehead and a shout that they can heal somebody. I have not seen one in person, but I do, however, believe in healing. Now, I don't believe in some of the stuff I've seen on TV, but I do believe in the power of the Father. I do believe in the power of the Son, Jesus, and I do believe in the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. I believe that God still heals people today, and I believe that they happen all the time. I believe that miracles happen all the time, and that there are clearly miraculous things that happen, and I believe that it is God who has done those things. Now, I may have told you before about my Uncle Jesse. He's a special man to me because when I was seeking this position here at this church, I asked him to pray for me. He's a pastor, and, he's, and we come from a line of pastors. My granddad was a pastor. And he's, he's one of those men that, that, that was praying for me because he knew what it meant to be and step into this role of being a pastor. My uncle was also a Vietnam veteran. Many of the men and women who have fought for our country have suffered from the effects of war. They have suffered from both physical and mental effects that war have on us. But during Vietnam, they used a large quantity of a chemical called Agent Orange. And this Agent Orange is a, is a bad chemical that uh, when mixed this, the way they had it mixed would do certain things. And so the, some of the certain things that they would do is cause cancer. And some of the other things that it would do is cause birth defects. And my uncle had to live with both of these. His daughter was born, Tracy Lynn was born, and she's passed away in heaven now, but she was born with mental and physical defects. And it's been proven time and time again it come from this age norm. But my uncle also had a large mass in his body. And they took some samples of it and they found it to be cancer. Now we all went down there and we, we prayed for, for my uncle for, for months and for weeks and, and we prayed that he would be healed. Now he lives in Texas, we lived in Oklahoma and I know that 
he had family all over the United States praying for him. And we went down that day, the day of his surgery, we made our way down to Texas where we all had gathered up outside of the hospital. Some of us were out there praying, but me and my cousins, we were out there playing tackle the man with football because we were still pretty young. But when they come out of the hospital, they told us the news that the doctors had gone in to do surgery and the large mass was gone. It was nowhere to be found. And no one could explain or give an explanation. The obvious explanation would have been the diagnosis was incorrect. And that's what most people will conclude and jump to right off the bat. But that was not the case. It was double-checked, and it was confirmed that there was a mass there. And, there were, and they had taken a sample of it and was found to be cancerous. But when they went in to do surgery, the mass was gone. And we know it was a miracle, you know? And that was many years ago, and he is still today cancer-free. And, and, I, and I, 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 I appreciate what God has done for him. But what happened? It was no less than a miracle. God healed my uncle. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, or doubts about that in my own mind. And our own Boyd Rice will tell you. I sat and visited with him in his home here the other day for about three and a half hours. Boyd likes to talk. If you ever get a chance to go talk with Boyd, he'll talk your leg off. Boyd said this. He said to his doctors when he went down for his little surgery the other day, God showed up before you did, Doc. He said, God showed up before you did. Because that sack of fluid that was behind his gallbladder was about this big around, about two inches, two and a half inches around. He said, when they went down to do surgery, they, they got ready to go in and do this, and they'd done one more scan, and they'd done another scan, and they looked, and they, they couldn't find it. They said there was a spot in there where that was. It was about the size of a little pinky. The doctor said, I, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. It's, it was there. We've all seen it. It's not there no more. And Boyd just simply said, God showed up before you did. Boyd is a believer in miracles. And, and you, you, you can ask him yourself, no less than a miracle, he will say. And I've heard them many, I've seen them many times. I've heard about them many times. And I've, I've experienced a few in person. One preacher man says, if they happened every day, they would call them regulars, not miracles. I guess that would be right. I'd like to see a lot of regulars going on around here, and I think we see some miracles each and every day going on around here. I guess that might be true, but God, but make no mistake, God can and does heal today, and there is, and there is no need to go find someone with a supposed gift to make it happen. He has given us unrestricted access to him and his throne. And he asks us to come to the throne room of heaven. And he asks us to come to him directly with our problems and our, and our distressing afflictions. And he asks us to come to him because he promises to hear all of our concerns and to receive all of our requests with compassion. But however, we must keep in mind that the Lord will do what he has determined to be right. The Lord will do what he has determined to be right, which may not be what we requested. It may not be what we wanted. And it is this point when our trust and our faith in him faces its greatest challenge. And think about your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ tonight as we talk about this miraculous healing that happened. 
We take, for instance, this story of the nobleman that comes out of John chapter 4. We're going to read that right now. Now, after two days, he departed from there and he went to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own town or his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Keep that in mind. Having seen all the things that he did at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same time in the hour which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And himself, he himself believed and his whole household. This, again, is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. As they come into Galilee, Jesus makes a statement. He really makes a, a war that's a, really a warning. Here, he says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans, they received him, having seen all the things that Jesus done, having seen all the miracles, all the signs that Jesus did. Of course, they're going to receive him. If a prophet has no honor in his hometown, why did they receive him? That's a question that popped into my mind when I was reading this. It was almost as if they were proud of their hometown boy, Jesus. But Jesus kept their goodwill in perspective. You see, when people get what they want, belief comes easy. Think about that. When people get what they want, belief comes easy. You see, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus told them the truth. He confronted them with the facts that he was the Messiah. And they didn't believe him. The story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and also in Luke. The story is this right here. Jesus traveled to Nazareth, where he had gone up on the Sabbath day, and he went to the synagogue where he always did. And Jesus stood up to read the book of Isaiah the prophet. It was given to him. He opened the book, and he found this place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is in me. This is because God chose me to tell the good news of the poor. To Maybe he jumped here. <laughs> yeah, he told the good news to the poor. God sent me to tell the prisoners of sin that they are free and to go tell the blind that they can see again. Isaiah 61. That's in Isaiah 61. And then God sent me to free those who have been treated unfairly. Isaiah 58, 6. And then he announced the time that the Lord would show kindness to his people. Isaiah 61, 2. Jesus closed the book. And he gave it back to him, and he sat down, and everyone in the synagogue was watching Jesus closely. And he began to speak to them. He said, while you heard these words just now, 
they are coming true. He's saying, I am the one these words are written about. I am the Messiah. This is who I am. And all the people praised Jesus. They were amazed at the, the, the beautiful words he spoke. They asked, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Doesn't he have some brothers and sisters running around here? And Jesus said to them, I know that you will tell me the old saying, Doctor, heal yourself. You want to say, we heard about the things that you did in Capernaum. So do those things here in our own town. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The prophet is not accepted in his own town. What I say is true during the time of Elijah, it did not rain for Israel over three and a half years. There was no food anywhere in the whole country, and there were many widows in Israel during these times. But Elijah was sent to none of those widows. He was sent to the widow at Zarephath in the town of Sidon. And there were many, there were many had harmful skin diseases living in Israel during that time and the prophet, of the prophet Elijah. But none of them were healed except Naaman. So Elijah was sent to, the wit, to one widow, not all the widows, but just to one. Elisha was sent not to all the sick, but one. So it's interesting here that Jesus is repeating this. But none of them were healed except the ones that they were sent to from the country of Syria, that Naaman was from the country of Syria. When all the people in the synagogue heard these things, they became very angry. They just realized that Jesus wasn't going to do any healing in their town. He was going to move on. They got up and they forced Jesus out of town. The town was built on a hill and they took him over to the edge of the hill and they wanted to throw him off, but Jesus walked through the crowd. He snuck through the crowd and got away. When the true Messiah confronts the Messiah of their expectations, which will they choose? It's obvious from the story here whom they chose that day. It wasn't the Messiah. It's human expectations versus God's sovereignty. It is what we want versus what God's will is. It's what are your expectations when it comes to the healing power of God. It is what you want to happen or is it what God wants to happen. God sees, he knows what is right to happen. He knows what he needs to do. We may not understand that. And that's Jesus encountered, his encounter with the nobleman is this right here. The royal official, he, he illustrates the faith response that he desires. Right here in this little passage that, that we just read a while ago, we find that this is how Jesus wants us to respond. He wants us to believe first what he says. The location is Canaan. Remember, this is where Jesus performed his first, his first signs, the changing of the water into wine. A certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He had, he had made this 18-mile journey between Capernaum and Canaan, perhaps to do some business just that day. And he heard that Jesus just happened to be in town that day. And he goes, wait a minute, my son is sick. I've heard about this Jesus. He can heal people. I'm going to go to him. So he's made this journey. And it will come important later, these 18 miles. It becomes real important later in our message. But that would have took him about six hours if he would have walked it. But he was a nobleman. 
Noblemen don't walk anywhere they go. They ride a horse or they'll ride a chariot. So it probably took him about two hours to do those 18 miles. But he was a royal official, so, so probably serving in some kind of royal court. It might have been why he was in town for business. Who knows? But he, had made, he was a man of influence, wealth, privilege, and he wielded some significant authority. And we can be certain that him coming to Jesus did not go unnoticed. This, this royal man coming to Jesus for something would have not gone unnoticed. His, his, his demeanor did not fit his station at this point. It wasn't like the rich or the noble to beg, was it? They didn't need to beg for anything. But he is found here at Jesus. But here's the thing. His son was lame and dying in Capernaum. And at this point right here, he was just a father who was concerned about his son. And he begged Jesus with all the urgency of his son's illness. He begged him to come and heal his son. The official cast off any of his dignity. And he kept on begging the Lord, come and heal my son and Jesus Responded with a rebuke, it seems. And it seems that it's a little bit harsh. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. See, Jesus wasn't worried about the healing itself. He's worried about the healing that needs to occur within the man, not just his son. And this isn't the first time we have heard this from the Gospel of John, Jesus saying this. Same thing he said over in two, chapter 2, verses 23. Now when it come to Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast... Many believed in his name when they saw the signs in which he did. This man desperately wanted Jesus to come and to heal, come down and to heal his son. And this suggested he, that he saw some limitness to Jesus' power. It suggests that it may have been prevented him from healing over a great distance. Furthermore, he presumed to tell Jesus how to conduct the healing rather than to simply just trust and care his son to the Lord. He was asking Jesus, come on, come down here. You've got to come. If you don't come, my son won't be healed. But Jesus wanted to show off something right here so all would have a greater faith in him. And most significantly, he, he saw Jesus as a, a means to get what he wanted, not as the Messiah, not as one worthy to worship. He just saw him as a healer. Let me say something right here. Don't put limits on God's power. Don't put limits on God's power. Don't put limits on what Jesus can do. Our God is an all-powerful. He's an all-knowing God. He knows everything there is to know. He is ever-present in each and every one of our lives that believe in him. So don't limit him. Don't limit his power. Believe that he is all of the things and more. Believe he is full of power. Be, believe he is, is knowledgeable about what's going on in our lives, and he is there present in our lives. You know, I was thinking the other day that of all the great words that we can say about God, they all fall short. You ever thought about that? Every great word in, in our English language that we can say about God really all fall short of how powerful he is, how present he is, how omniscient. He is. They fall short to describe him. Our God does impossible things. He can heal somebody no matter what the distance, no matter what the time, nor the space. Let's get back to the story, though. But the nobleman, he wouldn't, 
He wouldn't relent. He wouldn't relent. Facing the kind of desperate situation he was facing. He was not, he was, he was not an aristocrat. He was, he was not an official. He was not a royal. He was a father, first and foremost, right there at that point. A father of, of a boy who was sick, and he was worried over the death of his dying son. And Jesus used this, Jesus uses this man's vulnerable state of mind to teach him his genuine belief. What he would really believe. Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your son lives. He didn't say anything else. Just go on your way. Go about your business. Take care of whatever it is you come to Canaan to do. Because back at home, your son's alive. John's gospel is all about us believing in Jesus Christ. If you don't get anything out of the gospel of John, get this. Believe in Jesus. That's what you get out of the gospel of John. But this man did just that. So it says in the scripture, So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. The man believed what Jesus said to be true, which is an important first step. But it was... Not like the belief of the Samaritan woman we just talked about last week. See, she believed instantly. She believed in the Messiah just as soon as she heard from the Messiah and then went and told everybody. He believed in the words, but not in Jesus himself. At least not yet. Now, it's, this is known to be what we call temporal faith, and it falls short of what we call saving faith. Let me explain that a little bit more in detail. See, Dr. James uh, Kennedy, he wrote a book called Evangelism Explosion. And it carefully clarifies what it means by the invitation we give to believe in Jesus. But he describes first what saving faith is not. The first thing people mistake for saving faith is this, he says. Some people believe in Jesus Christ the same way they believe in Napoleon or George Washington. They believe that they, he actually lived. He was a real person in history, but they are not trusting him to do anything for them now. What can Napoleon do for you today? Nothing. What can George Washington do for you today? Absolutely nothing. But what can Jesus do? Better yet, what the question should be is, what have you seen Jesus do for you today? That should be the question we should ask right there. But this is, this is, what, that, this is what this faith, this temporal faith, the, the, the mere intellectual assent is what, is what Kennedy calls it. He describes a, another kind of belief that falls short of saving grace called this temporal faith. It is a step in the right direction, yet it falls short. Let me explain that a little further. We might say that when you trust in the Lord you, for your finances, say, you have financial faith. Maybe you trust in the Lord to take care of your family. You can call that family faith. Maybe you trust in the Lord to uh, help you make decisions. We could call that deciding faith. Maybe on trips, like we, we prayed for Bob and Debbie on their trip. We, 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 call, we could call that traveling faith. And many people have this kind of faith. And we see it all the time. We ask, we, we've got some people out there that just have prayer faith because you can get people on Facebook that are so far from the Lord but yet are still asking for prayers from you. So they have faith, but they don't have the faith that they need to believe in Jesus. Saving faith. 
Those things are all temporal, but saving faith is trusting in Christ to save you, to save you eternally. That's what saving faith is. Saving faith is believing that Jesus, he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, and he's coming to take you home again to live eternally with him. No matter what happens along your journey in life, you are secure in the knowledge that you know that Jesus has saved you from a life in hell, and he is going to take you to heaven with him one of these days. That is the saving faith that we're talking about here. And that nothing will ever take you out of his hand. Now John's story of a father's uh, desperate to see his deathly ill son restored to health illustrates the difference between authentic saving faith and other kinds of belief. When Jesus assured that the man and his son would live, he believed the words that Jesus spoke. He believed them. He, it says in Scripture that he believed. He believed that Jesus would grant his request. He had that temporal faith. Later, when he realizes that his son miraculously recovered, coincided with Jesus' words, he believed in Jesus. And he, it says there in the Scriptures, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the, when the hour he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. You notice here that the father hasn't actually left or went home immediately because the scriptures kind of, they, they kind of hint to this. They, they kind of hint to this. Jesus was talking to this man around, around the seventh hour. We find that out through the scriptures. Seventh hour, if it's the Jewish seventh hour, it's one o'clock. If it's the Roman hour, then it's 7 p.m. in the evening time. Travel at night was not probably done in those days because it was too dangerous. So he had at least stay overnight. He had to finish his business and then go home. And then he met his servants on that road going home. That would have took him about two hours to get home. And, he, and they say, when was he healed? He was healed yesterday. He was healed yesterday. This by itself could speak to the Father's faith in Jesus right there alone. But it's still not the saving faith in Jesus because the text continues. So the Father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. When the man realizes that his son's fever broke at the very hour Jesus declared the boy healed, the man believed in Jesus Christ. He believed in that healing salvation power that Jesus had. This is the kind of faith that brings a person into a right relationship with, with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It moves beyond the mere acceptance of the message to trust Jesus himself as Savior and Messiah as in the Son of God. This, is, this may be why Paul writes, writes, to us, writes to the Romans these words, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And that man got to hear directly from God himself. He heard God's word straight from God's mouth. Your son lives. The man believed in the Savior along with him and his whole house. He, he then believed in Jesus as the Messiah, accepting as the true all things that the Lord claimed to be, the trusting Savior for salvation. But it wasn't just him, it was his whole house. This is really the true miracle when the man believes in Jesus and then he, we see his whole house come to the invitation that Jesus gives. Believe in me. You know, that family must have been waiting there that day in anticipation for the father to 
to get to Jesus or to bring him to the house. Maybe they knew he was there. Maybe they didn't know that he was in Canaan. But the father knew, and he goes and he finds Jesus, and he asks him to come. But maybe they were at the house. Maybe they'd sent him on ahead to go over there to Canaan to get Jesus and bring him over there. We don't know what happens there, but we can suppose for just a little bit. And we can think about what it must have been like to be sitting in there in that, that living room of that family, all surrounding that boy, when all of a sudden, bam, he's alive. He's up. He's moving around. The son is alive. What just happened? How did, how did all of a sudden he get well? They have no idea what's going on. They have, they, all they know right now is the son is well. He's up. He don't have a fever no more, and he's walking around. So they send a servant to go after dad and tell him, hey, we don't need Jesus anymore. He's alive. He's, alive. he's healed. They don't know what's going on over here. Junior's better. Come on back. The family had just seen a miracle, and they didn't even know it. And when the father got home, and seeing his son alive for himself, he told the family how he had just met Jesus. How he had begged Jesus to come to heal his son who was dying. And how Jesus had only said, go on your way, your son is alive. He must have also said to his family, I believe in this man Jesus. I believe he can heal the sick because our son is up and he's walking around. He is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. And I believe in him for my salvation. And this is when the whole family realized who Jesus was. And they believed in Jesus also. But that's what happens when a father of a family receives Jesus. They say, and you've heard it 94% of the time, when the, when the man of the house receives the Lord, receives salvation, the whole family gets saved. 94% of the time. The most amazing and the most greatest miracle God does on a daily basis is the miracle of salvation. And don't you miss that right there. We pray and we pray for our family members who are sick and who are hurting and have cancer and, and who are dying. And we pray and we pray and we pray that they be healed. But the one thing that we forget to pray for is maybe their salvation. Because that's the greatest miracle that can happen in their life. Because if they receive Jesus, if they believe in Jesus one day, they're going to live in heaven. They're going to live in heaven with Jesus. Because salvation in Jesus means you're no longer going to hurt. You're no longer going to cry. You're no longer going to be in pain and no longer going to be sick. You're no longer going to have diseases. You're no longer going to have cancer. You won't need money. You won't need food. And you won't need material things anymore because you have Jesus. And Jesus is all you need. I don't deserve God. And God sure don't need me. But oh, how he wants me. And oh, how he loves me. And that frees me to take my hands off of my life. That frees me to give up the things of this world and just focus on Jesus. Let God have control of your life. Put your faith, put your trust in Him. God wants us all to know His Son, Jesus. And if we truly care about the people that's in our lives, if we truly want to see them healed, if we truly want to see them forever in heaven, we need to do everything possible to introduce them to Jesus.
because he's the only thing that can heal forever. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Tonight, if you're here and you're, you find yourself like this man in desperate seek of needing healing, if you're here tonight in desperate need of Jesus to heal you, All you have to do is ask for that gift, that free gift of salvation that he gives because one of these days we will be perfectly healed, we'll be perfectly free from this sinful world. We'll be perfectly his. We'll be in a place called heaven with him. If tonight you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, tonight's the night you can get that worked out. I'll, throw you, I'll show you through the scriptures how you, can, how you can give your life to him, how you can pray to him and, and receive him into your heart. He can become your Lord and Savior, the Savior of your life. Not only just believing in him for the things that you need, but believing him for salvation, that he's saved you from an eternity in hell and given you a life forever with him. If that's you tonight, I want to share with you. Christians tonight, if you're here and, and, and your faith is weak and your faith is faltering and your faith is shaky, just continue to believe and trust in who Jesus is. Believe and trust in his word because one of these days we're going to see all these words in living color. We're going to see all these words in a living person, and his name is Jesus. We're going to be at his feet in heaven. We're going to be worshiping him one of these days. But I know that you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and I know that you need to share Jesus with those people. Maybe tonight you need to be up here praying for your faith to grow stronger and your trust in him to grow stronger so that you can share with those family members that you want to see on the other side of this life. The other side of this place. The altars are open tonight. Come and pray. If you need prayer, if you need, if you need somebody to pray over you, come and we'll pray over you tonight. We'll pray for you. The altars are open. God, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you, what you have done for us. The, the salvation that comes through the, the life and the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Father, we just thank you so much that, that one of these days we're going to live in a perfect place, in a perfect world where there is no more sickness, no more disease, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more hurts. Thank you for that salvation that's to come one of these days. That saving faith that you have given me, that you've put in my heart, Father. 
there's one here tonight that does not have that saving faith, Father, in their, in their heart and know it for sure that they're going to live forever in a place called heaven with the Savior called Jesus. Father, I just ask tonight that you, before they leave this place, that they would ask someone about salvation in Jesus. And Father, we just thank you for what this church does and what it means, Father. We just ask that you be with our prayer time and, and, and just be with... Uh, all of those who need prayer and lift it up, Father. Those who are in pain, those who have diseases and cancers, Father. We just, we want to lift them up to you tonight, Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.